0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Hi everyone, this is Cat Johnson. We have a new episode of Meet and Three for you today, but first we have some sad news. This morning we learned of the untimely passing of Anthony Bourdain. Bourdain was in France working on an upcoming episode of his award-winning CNN series Parts Unknown. His close friend Eric Repair found Bourdain unresponsive in his hotel room on Friday morning. CNN reported that the cause of death was suicide. Bourdain was 61 years old. Anthony Bourdain opened our eyes to parts of the world and of humanity that aren't accessible to most. He started with his book Kitchen Confidential, Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly, which offered readers a behind-the-scenes look at professional kitchens. From there, he teamed up with Lydia Tanaglia and Chris Collins of 0.0 to film a cook's tour for Food Network. In 2005, he began hosting No Reservations on the Travel Channel, and in 2013, moved to CNN to host Parts Unknown. He traveled to nearly 100 countries and filmed over 280 episodes. His distinctive style of storytelling put a respectful spotlight on local cuisines and customs and always included thoughtful and poetic narration. Anthony Bourdain paved the way for many of us who write and talk about food for a living. For me, I truly don't think I would be here working in food radio without the world that he helped create. My first job was as a post-production assistant at 0.0, and it introduced me to this world of chefs and writers and cinematographers and meat purveyors and graphic designers and wild game hunters and hundreds of other people who seem to have nothing in common other than that one thing that ties us all together, food. I continue to be amazed by his vision, and I'm grateful that he brought it to life. Tony, we hope you're in peace somewhere, enjoying a delicious meal, finally having all of life's mysteries explained to you. We send our love and condolences to his family, friends, and the team at 0.0. If someone you know exhibits warning signs of suicide, call the U.S. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Welcome to Meet in 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. I'm your host and HRN's communications director, Kat Johnson. On June 2nd, the World Health Organization and UNICEF released a report that 2.1 billion people, that's 3 in 10 people worldwide, do not have access to safe drinking water at home. Alas, that alarming statistic did not really surprise us, given recent headlines about the situation in Flint, Michigan, and The Verge's investigation into Coca-Cola's efforts to become a truly water-sustainable business. Spoiler alert, it's not really working, and you can read more about that on TheVerge.com. At HRN, our most vocal advocate for clean H2O is Katie Kiefer, host of What Doesn't Kill You. Lately, she's been jumping into the topic of water contamination in the heartland. Take a listen to Katie's conversation with journalist Elizabeth Reutte about the worsening tap water crisis in Pretty Prairie, Kansas.
2: Their water is heavily polluted with nitrates, which are coming from agricultural chemical applications on fields and running off into their water table. What, what are the health impacts of drinking nitrate-laced water? The EPA has set a standard of 10 milligrams per liter in the water, and um, there's plenty of evidence that drinking water um, at levels higher than 10 parts per million will hurt infants or or fetuses, and it's um, closely associated with a blue baby syndrome. Yeah. It inhibits um, blood cells' ability to move oxygen to the brain. Babies turn blue. You rush them to the doctor. Uh, not so many babies die of it, and it's really rarely diagnosed these days because most public water systems do a great job of keeping the nitrates lower than 10 but it's a little bit uncertain what the effects on adults are of high nitrate water. And there have been contradictory studies that show um, or contradict, they contradict each other. Um, mm-hmm. Some show that uh, high nitrates are linked with thyroid disorders or diseases or colorectal cancers or stomach cancers. But I would think that in a town that has, you know, the incredibly... Well, was it incredibly? I was like twenty parts per million, as opposed to ten, which is the regulation. Right. Um, that was the that was the level in in Pretty Prairie and higher. And 23, higher twenty three was the, mm-hmm. the highest that I saw. So, what were some of the solutions? Well, bottled water, first of all, I think anyone who wanted it could get it, but it was only the um, you know the people with the little babies who took advantage of that, and that mm-hmm. like cost the town forty dollars a month. And then they ended up with this plan to build a reverse osmosis plant, which is expensive and energy-intensive, and as I said, they they haven't started building it yet, but are supposed to soon."
1: The price tag of that reverse osmosis plant, by the way? More than a million dollars. That's going to be a major financial burden on this small town for years to come. So no wonder they were willing to foot the bill for bottled water or face the risk of tap water in the meantime. Katie has also been covering a similar nitrate problem in Iowa's water supply specifically a lawsuit filed by Des Moines Waterworks to force three counties in the Corn Belt to cut down on water pollution. The lawsuit was thrown out earlier this year, but Katie hasn't stopped searching for alternative solutions with guests on her show. Here's a snippet from her interview with Frances Thickey, a soil scientist and water quality expert, about what's really going wrong.
3: People think it has to do primarily with uh, using too much nitrogen fertilizer. Mm-hmm. But the research shows that that is not the primary cause. The primary cause is that the cropping system itself is fundamentally flawed. It, it's inherently leaky of nitrogen. Just by Even if you optimize the nitrogen fertilization, fertilization just do a perfect job. You're only going to reduce that nitrate leaching by 5 or 10 percent. Cover crops will reduce it by 30 to 60 percent The nitrate leaching.
1: Cover crops are used solely for soil protection and enrichment, not harvesting.
3: There's two options. One is to have a more ecologically sound cropping system on the field so you don't lose the nitrate to the tile drains. And the other one is that if we can't do that, then you have to have what we call conservation diapers at the end of the field. Mm. And what that means is that, you know, we might think of like an incontinent field, you know, it's it's, you need the diaper. And that would be things like there are bioreactors and wetlands and um, buffer strips that can be used to try to collect some of that nitrate. But to me, that's really a a Band-Aid. It may be a necessary Band-Aid in some cases, but we're not even doing that. But the real solution is to make it more ecologically sound on the landscape.
1: You can hear more about Pretty Prairie's story on Episode 259 of What Doesn't Kill You? Or check out Elizabeth Reuty's article on the subject in the May issue of Harper's Magazine. You can hear more of Katie's interview with Francis Thickey on episode 258 of What Doesn't Kill You. According to that World Health Organization UNICEF report, rural areas are more affected by water pollution, but that doesn't mean urban areas are immune to their own water woes. Hannah Forden spoke to a reporter who just broke the story that hundreds of New York City's water tanks could be contaminated.
4: My name is Frank Runyon, and I'm a senior reporter for City and State.
5: Last week, Frank published a disturbing exposé about the conditions of New York City's water tanks.
4: I spent a long time digging into uh, some city data. They started collecting water tank inspection reports for the first time in 2015. Really the first uh, recorded information about what is uh, inside and sort of the condition of the city's drinking water tanks.
5: Wooden water towers perched atop tall buildings are an iconic element of the New York skyline. But after reading Frank's piece, New Yorkers felt a little queasy, learning that the water they've been drinking is potentially contaminated with a sludgy cocktail of animal, insectoid, and bacterial matter.
4: When you're climbing up these uh, wooden tanks, uh, the first thing that strikes you is these are very, very high off of the top of the buildings. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, if, you, um, if you slip, that's pretty much the end of it. It was um, sort of uh, dank and, and musty, um, and uh, the air was sort of heavy and a bit cool. Um, and uh, it smelled like dust and um, (sighs) wet wood, you know? Um, And uh, there's very little light when you get inside, um, except for once you get inside, you can frequently see these little shafts of light uh, coming through um, where the wood is starting to rot away. It's very dark, you can't see what's going on. Some of the photographs that you see there are very bright because I was taking the photo with a flash. I had a headlamp on so that, the, <laughs> so that the camera could focus. But then when the flash went, I, I wasn't really picking up what was everything that I was catching in the camera. So it was only later that I saw um, the photograph of the cockroach that was um, floating by. And an entomologist told me it was dead, um, missing some pieces as well. It did seem like there were things growing on the sides of the tank and the the, the roof. I haven't been able to identify them, so I can't responsibly say what it was, but it looked looked a bit like uh, fungus to me. Here lies the problem. Um, How much we don't know about water tanks. Um, That really is sort of the central problem. The City Health Department's best guess is that there's about 10,000 of these wooden uh, water tanks, mostly wooden water tanks, there are some steel. So if you take that number and then you look at the number of people that filed their reports, uh, you come up with somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 34% in 2017. So that, of course, means that there are two-thirds of landlords with water tanks uh, that are not reporting them. The city frequently loves to brag about the quality of its water. When it comes to food, people talk about bagels and pizza and how reliant it is on the quality of the water. Or is it that unique flavor from whatever it is in the wood tanks that is making the pizza and bagels so good? I don't know.
5: Many New Yorkers had visceral reactions to the article's revelations, like councilmember Richie Torres, who said the city is, quote, content to live in an alternate universe where bacterial growth in water tanks have no bearing on water quality. According to the EPA, sediment at the bottom of these tanks could contain the bacteria that cause non-tuberculosis mycobacterial pulmonary disease and Legionnaire's disease. But it's hard to say for sure, since only limited data has been collected by the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. We just don't have a clear picture of what's lurking under the surface. In a lengthy email to HRN, Christopher Miller at the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene said, quote, "...water tanks pose very little risk to the health of New Yorkers." And, quote, "...the health department is strengthening its water tank oversight by investing and upgrading its online reporting system to be able to issue violations to every building that has not submitted." It remains to be seen what changes will be made. But, clearly, New York is thirsty for a solution.
1: You can find Frank Runyon's full article at cityandstateny.com, along with a map showing the inspection status of water towers across the city. Coming up next, a happier water story. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy salt water? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long-chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit WildAlaskaSeafood.com. Welcome back to Meat in 3. We're dipping our toes into the subject of water today. And now, let us flow seamlessly from water woes to water wonders. Leonardo da Vinci wrote that water is sometimes sharp and sometimes strong, sometimes acid and sometimes bitter, sometimes sweet and sometimes thick or thin. Sometimes it is seen bringing hurt or pestilence, sometimes health-giving, sometimes poisonous. It suffers change into as many natures as are the different places through which it passes." That quote is featured on Patina Restaurant Group's Water Menu, available at Ray's and Stark, the restaurant at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. It's curated by its water sommelier, Martin Rees. He's originally from Germany, but is now based in L.A. and claims to be the only water sommelier in the U.S. You may have seen him teaching 2 Chains and Diplo about high-end water on YouTube.
6: You know, I did the video with Diplo and 2 Chains, And 2 Chains is not really uh, my kind of music because I'm not really so into hip-hop, but I love, Mm. obviously, EDM. And it was cool to meet Diplo, and he was uh, such a nice guy. And that video actually just uh, received yesterday the 10 million mark on YouTube. So 10 million million people watched that video where I'm opening a $100,000 bottle of water. And what was the show for? There was um, GQ's most expensive... Oh really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it makes sense. And they had some really cool fun. Stuff. That
1: was a clip for Martin's very own podcast, Planet Water Podcast, which is dedicated to educating people about water and his role as a water sommelier.
6: This is an interesting topic, I think. Like, why can water be expensive, or why can water be mm-hmm. so in different price ranges? Yeah. Like, it's like how is this even possible? And that is the whole point. Like, the thing is, like, imagine. When you drink purified water, what is nothing else than actually municipal sourced water from from a city? Uh, So it's tap water, guys, Hmm. nothing else. Uh, obviously it's very cheap to just open the tap, filling filling the bottles with tap water, or actually they're yeah. purifying it. That means like they're filtering everything out of there, they and they're adding back some very small amount of minerals and then selling it for a high price. So this is, for me, the most expensive water what you can find on this planet. Mm. This is purified water. And on the other hand, they are like glaciers, spring waters, natural occurring mineral waters, and all these kind of waters coming from other nature. And the beauty is that you can taste the difference in water.
1: It took Martin two years to put together his water menu for patina because not all of the varieties he was looking for were available in the U.S. If bar or restaurant owners want very specific waters, they have to do the legwork and sourcing themselves. But for some, the effort is well worth it.
7: So, I'm Dave Arnold. I'm the host of uh, Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. I have a new bar uh, that we're opening called Existing Conditions.
1: We heard from Dave on episode three of Meat and Three. He had some gripes about red tape, and with good reason, he's eager to get the doors open. Dave and his partner, Don Lee, are putting a lot of thought into the water they'll be serving. They'll have standard carbonated water while also offering a sparkling water made in house with both nitrous oxide and CO2 bubbles using both gases creates livelier and sweeter bubbles but it will have to be consumed quickly and Dave explains why
7: if i were to mix nitrous oxide and carbon dioxide in a 1 to 1 ratio which you never would because that's not good water right then both both gases would dim down in in a in the drink kind of equally but uh, because they have relatively similar um, solubilities. But because there's so much more CO2 than there is nitrous in the water, what happens is the CO2 leaves relatively faster and the balance between the two gases gets thrown off. So the water ends up tasting sweeter and less carbonated because a sensation of carbonation is from the CO2. The liveliness of the bubbles is from the mix of the two.
1: The cocktails at existing conditions will mostly use New York City water for standard dilution.
7: However, We're also using some extremely strong tasting water from Saratoga, New York. It is hardcore. I got interested in Saratoga because it's one of the few places where cool carbonated water comes out of the ground. Because of the unique hydrogeology, I guess is the word. I I don't know whether I made that up or whether that's a real word.
1: It is a real word.
7: You have these springs not real springs because they've drilled, they've been drilled, but they're very close to each other with very different tastes. But the one that we're using in the bar is called Hathorne 3, and it's extremely salty, like a third of the salt uh, that's in the ocean, but it's not the same minerals that are in the ocean.
1: I even got a sneak peek at one of the drinks that will be made with this special water.
7: called the Saratoga Paloma. It's tequila, Saratoga uh, water from Hathorne, clarified grapefruit juice, clarified lime juice, a little bit of sugar, Regular water.
1: You can try the Saratoga Paloma soon. Existing conditions is set to open this summer. That's it for this week's show. Do you know any individual or business doing a good job of cleaning the world's water supply? We'd love to hear about them. Write us anytime at ideas at 3nyc That's all spelled out. Be sure to save some room on your plate for meat and three every Friday afternoon. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks this week to Dave Arnold and Katie Kiefer. Meat in 3 is produced by Liza Hamm, Margaret Kelly, Hannah Forden, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and me, Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is David Tatteshore. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Meat and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Tune in next week for a new episode of Meet in Three. We're celebrating Pride Month.